when I say new geometries of carceral space, I sort of see the changing topology, not only thinking of just the prison, the jail, the detention center as these enclosed sites, but also thinking of the less visible geographies. I was interested in the socio-technical infrastructure as it manifests through the network form and the way that the technology externalizes and sort of disperses carceral power throughout public space. My name is Brian Jefferson. I'm an associate professor of geography and geographic information science at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. And I'm the author of Digitize and Punish, Racial Criminalization in the Digital Age. As soon as I began my career as a professor, Ferguson exploded. And there became a lot of work that was looking at police accountability, activism. And one of the things that I was interested in was beneath sort of the spectacle of police killings and police brutality and the resistance against it and the defense about it was sort of the technologies that were quietly expanding over the years. My training's in political science and political theory, so I'm always interested in the state. And in this case, I was initially interested in the police. And because I studied the NYPD, one of the things that I was familiar with is their CompStat system. It's an accountability system that sort of judges the performance of commanding officers and rank and file officers and how efficient they are in lowering the crime rate in their respective precincts. But one of the key parts of CompStat is its mapping system. They used to use hand pin maps, and they would place pins on high crime areas. And then they transitioned to geographic information systems. So I got a job in geography, and I became really interested in the crime mapping aspect of it. And the more I looked into the crime mapping aspect and the more I looked into sort of the relationship that the NYPD had forged with IBM, with Motorola, with telecom communications industries, the sort of deeper I wanted to dig. So the book is about the history of digital computing in the American criminal justice system. Going back to Lyndon Johnson in the 1960s and the Law Enforcement Assistant Administration and the ways that they first conceived of using computers to help fight the war against crime and looks over the decades sort of the growth of digital computing and the relationship between the IT sector and the criminal justice system. There had been books, most notably for me, Du Bois, who wrote about the relation between agricultural capitalists and the sharecropping system. Du Bois also looked at the relation between the industrial sector and mass imprisonment and, and racial imprisonment. And one of the things that he looked at was sort of as the industrial capitalists rose, the way that they used freed slaves for cheap labor in many ways. And then, of course, Ruth Gilmore's work was, I think, like a huge inspiration because she looked at the defense manufacturing industry in California in relation to mass incarceration. So when I was doing my book, I sort of wanted to take the basic framework of Du Bois or of Ruthie Gilmore and swap out either agricultural or industrial capital and replace it with IT capital or the IT industry. So the book was really just my attempt to test some of the ideas that they advanced and see how things remain the same, but also how they changed. (laughs) 
a lot of the literature that looks at mass incarceration looks at deindustrialization. They look at the way that factories left places like Chicago, New York, or Philly, etc., and how it left behind a massive unemployment of disproportionately Black and Latinx people. Also, they might look at the shrinking of public sector jobs. And what you had was a situation where you have high unemployment, you get a drug market that sort of fills the vacuum. One of the things I wanted to look at is who replaced the industrialists. And as we know, if we look at smart cities, Oracle, AT&T, Motorola, IT and telecom capital, their position within cities expanded a great deal since the 90s. I think the major change that I found in the book was that the actual geography of the carceral state has been transformed. So in other words, you know, we might look at the industrial sector and think in a very Foucauldian way about enclosures and prisons and jails and detention centers and shipping off unwanted people into these different facilities. But the IT capital, its sort of mode of organization is through networks. So you do get things like GPS ankle monitors or surveillance cameras these dispersed sensors that collect data and send them to centralized hubs. A lot of people will talk about the prisonization of public housing, but in a very abstract way. So one of the things I wanted to do was to concretize it by actually trying to map the cameras, the bracelets, the fiber optic cabling that actually in New York City connects all NYPD precincts to public housing so they can get faster and more efficient video feeds. Especially since the Great Recession, a lot of states have looked at their budgets and realized how expensive it is to incarcerate someone. It's very expensive. You know, it's more expensive than college in many cases. So in trying to trim down on the prisoner population for financial reasons, that also plays a part in sort of changing the way that we administer groups of people who've been criminalized. And the sort of IT sector has given a lot of the instruments to change that geography. They're partners in a lot of ways, especially in New York City, where IBM and the NYPD co-developed a piece of software. And they've arranged for the sale of it outside of New York for some of the profits to get kicked back to the New York government. I think I'm probably part of a growing chorus of people who are pushing back against the over-abstraction of digital studies. Deleuze, he talks about how power no longer operates through enclosing people or, or necessarily through direct violence. It's much more nebulous and it's much more seamless, which is, of course, true. But I don't think it's the whole story. In some cases, the technology is used to enclose people. And you can look anywhere from like China, the Uyghur population, to the United States with poor black and predominantly Latinx people. So one of the sort of goals of the book is to push back against this idea that older forms of power in terms of their violence have disappeared because of digital technology. And a lot of the work on algorithmic governance goes further and it argues that the old identity categories are broken down into individuals, is Deleuze's term. And then the old census categories are not the only sort of subjectivities that are cast on to people to put them in hierarchies or to segregate them. But that 
clearly is not true, right? So the old categories, race, ethnicity, religion, gender, these things still, I think, influence the way that people are positioned vis-a-vis digital surveillance, digital technology for specific groups that I'm looking at and the specific time period that I'm looking at. What we have with the convergence of digital technology and the state are these sort of hybrid forms. They can be more decentralized, but they also at the same time can be violent, or they at the same time can be exclusionary. At the same time, they can operate according to older prejudices. To see that a lot of the problems that we're looking at now when it comes to data privacy, flawed methodologies in predicting who's going to be violent or who's going to be a criminal, these things were long in the making. And one of the most fascinating things that I found is sort of how the criminal justice system and IT companies, for that matter, had decades of being able to work together and collaborate and transform urban governance and transform mass criminalization without public awareness. And I think now, at this moment, you see an explosion across the country of activism. While, of course, it does seem overbearing and overtowering, it's not inescapable. Digital technologies, in many instances, have been used to subvert this very process that I've chronicled. One instance of that is stop-and-frisk data. The NYPD had the data, and it was racially tabulated. And if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have a basis to say that the practice was racist. Tactics of counter-surveillance I looked at, especially in, in Brooklyn, of people using handheld cameras and then mobile phones and then posting police-civilian encounters on YouTube. Of course, Black Lives Matter, they used social media to essentially forge a national, and in some cases international, movement. I think a lot of researchers, when we look at these systems of power, we try to anonymize them and dissect them. They can seem to be sort of invincible, but in reality, they're not the war on crime and war on drugs. These are daunting policies. And, you know, we're only beginning to realize how extensive the consequences of those policies are. But there are still ways that we can fight through it. And ironically, I think digital technology creates conditions for overcoming the sort of digitization of the carceral state. Brian Jefferson's book, Digitize and Punish, Racial Criminalization in the Digital Age, is out now from University of Minnesota Press. Thinkbelt.org slash interstitial has recommendations for further reading and more episodes. You can listen to Interstitial wherever you get podcasts. And share the show. Sound design is by Sam Clapp. I'm David Huber. More next week.